1: Las Vegas is known as the entertainment capital of the world, and in the early days here, entertainers and the mob were both an integral part of the social fabric. There were connections between Las Vegas and the East Coast, the Midwest, and of course Los Angeles. My guest, Ori Spado, was familiar with that world and is author of The Accidental Gangster, From Insurance Salesman to Mob Boss of Hollywood. His story about his days as Hollywood's fixer with mob connections. The book is published by Coastal West Publishing and available on Amazon and all the usual places. And for everything about Ori, including autographed copies of his book, go to TheAccidentalGangster.com. Ori, welcome to the show.
0: Good morning. How are you today?
1: Doing well, doing well. What made you decide to write a book? I'm sure you've been asked this before, but why did you decide to write this book after an interesting, I'll use that term, interesting, career, and I'll use that term as well, an interesting career in, let's say, both sides of the line?
0: Quite a journey. You know, actually, you know, I've been an avid reader all my life since I was a child. Even to this day, I read books every night. And when I was in prison, I read over 300 books. But I would walk the yard. And, you know, when you're in prison, the only thing you have to do is do your time. And so I'd be walking the yard, and in my head, I'm always formulating things and thinking things. That if I ever did write a book, not dreaming I ever would, I call it the accidental gangster.
1: And why the accidental gangster? Where did that that, uh, motivation come to put that as the title of the book?
0: Well, because I mean, it's not like uh, I'm uh, like a lot of these guys who were born in Brooklyn and born into the families. You know what I mean? I'm a Calabrese. My grandfather was a uh, he he was made, he came over here from Italy as a made man, from Calabria. But, you know, my, to at, at that generation, our family didn't want anything involved in that. Uh, but, you know, I guess it was in my
1: blood. And it's and, in, in your uh, book, Ori, too, you write that you were never a, that made man, but you knew the guys who were in the life on both coasts. So did you feel the need to be independent because you paid the price through incarceration anyway, right?
0: I like my independence. I don't want to answer to anybody. Uh, once you take that button, you're under somebody, and you got to answer to that person, and you got to do what that individual tells you to do. He might call you at four a.m. in the morning. And say, "Meet me at the diner," and you might have to go out and do some work.
1: Did you feel pressure throughout this? life of yours did you ever feel pressure from either coast or midwest to become a made man
0: well a sunny franchise in new york wanted to propose me and i could remember we were in a restaurant i said no Sonny, no it wouldn't be good is put too much heat on me this and that there i don't want it i should look at it. i can call you anytime i want I said, I can call these other bosses anytime I want. I said, once I take that button, I can't do that.
1: Do you think, though, that when you were wrapped up by the law, that it would have been easier or harder if you were a made man versus your independent streak?
0: Oh, if I were a made man, the heat would have been... The heat was intense on me as it was because I think the government thought I was a made man. You got to remember, on the West Coast, I was with Jimmy Kachi. Jimmy Kachi and I were very dear friends. Jimmy Kachi, for your listeners who do not know him, he was the underboss of Los Angeles and the boss of Palm Springs. And Jimmy and I, minimum once a month, we were in Las Vegas, um, because a lot of those guys in Las Vegas were under Jimmy also.
1: And you were involved in Las Vegas, too, in terms of, I, I know in your book, you talk about the Aladdin and promoting there, but, and we could talk about that, but it's interesting, the connection with Las Vegas, because you, it seems that you based most of your working life in Beverly Hills, and I was going <laughs> to talk to you about that, of all the places to live and work, why did you decide on Beverly Hills? Well, this is the Hollywood capital of the world. That is true, but there's all kinds of other places to live within Los Angeles that would still keep you close. I just thought it was funny reading about it. you know,
0: I'm a guy, even though I was born in a small town, I like to hear cars going down the street. I like to know there's activity around me. I like to know that I got my choices of restaurants where I go uh, and so forth, you know. And I lived in New York. I lived on 58th Street. Uh, I lived in Little Neck, I mean, you know, high-rise building. I, I'm i attracted to that there. I'm just something, you know, some people want to live in a cabin in the woods, not me.
1: <laughs> and also, too, I okay. keep thinking, though, of all the places, in terms of a low profile, Beverly Hills is somewhat high profile.
0: You know, I kept a low profile here for so long. Uh I was warned when I got into town from the Los Angeles Police Organized Crime Unit, also known as the Goon Squad, is portrayed by Sean Penn in, in a movie, and Nicholas Nol- Nolte in another movie, and Mulholland Drive. You know, Sean Penn did the Gangster Squad. that unit of the LAPD exists. It's real. And I never forgot, I had a girlfriend, and she fell at the pool, broke her arm, and I brought her to Olympic Hospital over on Olympic Boulevard. And we're in the waiting room at the emergency room. And a detective walks, and Mr. Spader come in with me. i got to have a talk. I said, can't you see that I'm going to get her in the emergency room? He said, this will take a minute. I walked outside. He said, Mrs. Spado, we know who you are. We know you're with Sonny Franchise Do not do your do not do your trade here in Los Angeles. I said, What? He said, You got the message, he says. We know you're here. And that was it, and he walked away.
1: What was your initial reaction, Ori, to that warning?
0: I go. I said, "What is my trade?"
1: <laughs> well, well, they obviously heard of you. So, I mean, I mean, you're there, they're 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 visiting you at the emergency room. So, they clearly yeah. were following you too.
0: Yeah. So you know, like I I've been followed most of my life. Um, uh, it's a day in the life. It's something that you uh, I, I learned as a young man. I uh, always know everything that's around me, my surroundings. Uh, if I walk into a restaurant, I know who is sitting at each table. And I know somebody moves from one table to another. Those are just natural instincts that we develop through the years.
1: Yeah, they call that situational awareness today, but you had it way back when.
0: Oh, I I, I was trained by uh, ex-Marine Tom R. Curry. He was good.
1: And yes, because you were in the military. When when you decided to pursue this life, and it wasn't as a made man, but clearly you were involved in a lot of uh, crime or scams. I don't know how you want to rephrase it, but in your book you talk about it. So it's not something that's made up. You were in involved with different people with different things. And did right. you ever think that at somewhere along the line, given your situational awareness, that you would be caught up in the net that you ended up getting caught up in, which is in the book.
0: You know, I knew that the day would come because you. There's only two things going to happen to you in that life. You're going to get killed, or you're going to go to prison. And you know, those are the things you try to avoid. But I knew the day eventually would come that I'd probably be picked up. I mean, I I was uh, you know. Uh, Arrested, you know, in, in Syracuse, New York, and uh, on a federal case there uh, related to my insurance business, and uh, you know, out uh, here in Los Angeles for the robbery the cable boxes, they tried to get me on. But you know, you just can't keep committing unlawful things, and don't think you're going to get away with it.
1: And some uh, of the some of the events you were involved in were high risk. The example, you just mentioned cable boxes in their book. You talk about that, that these cable boxes were in a Los Angeles jail that you had been filming a movie in, and you saw them there and knew that this would be a source of profit.
0: Yeah, a couple million dollars. Amazing. And and the FBI were all over
1: that there. They were all over
0: the guys who were the buyers. It was so crazy. It was unbelievable. But how many guys are crazy enough to rob a jail? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. That's what I, I was amazed by that story. When you look at law enforcement versus your side, so to speak, are you, in your mind, do you think that the other side is smarter than your guys, or that they are more organized and have more power or resources? What, what, how do you view that?
0: In my book, you know, one of the messages I want to get across is to the young people, uh, who think that life is glamorous or being in a gang is glamorous. All right. I'd like to try to talk. I have been successful, uh, with uh, a few of them so far, uh, not to get involved in the life. It's not like they portray you on television. You got to remember the FBI alone has over 38,000 employees. Their special agents are all college graduates. They got the time, they got the money, they got the equipment. Here we are, 2020. They could follow you without sitting out in front of your home anymore. Okay?
1: Yeah, just use They'll the phone. know
0: everything you're doing. Right. They could do it with the phones. In different ways they monitor you, you're not going to beat these guys. They got all the money in the world, and they got the time.
1: Do you find, Ori, that people on reading your book or hearing you speak or watching you somewhere and getting a sense of your life and the warning you just gave, do you find that people will come up to you and talk to you, and you have to give them some more advice about what you were just talking about, that it's not a good road to take?
0: Uh, I welcome it. I tell these people any questions, any help they need, they can write me at the accidental gangster at gmail.com and uh, I'll be and I'll answer their questions. Some people, uh, after I talk to them a couple of times, uh, I'll ask them for their phone number and I will call them, and I've had conversations with them.
1: Interesting. And you mentioned earlier there are a couple of people you've already turned around, so that's a new a new career for you in a way.
0: Right. And, you know, I do a live video of myself. I just began it last week. I'll be doing my second. It's called A Day in the Life. And I explain what happens in one day, okay, uh, particularly with search warrants and how they watch you, how they tell you, okay. And, you know, they got all the time in the world. And all that happened to me. Over a period of time, they knew everything I was doing. But then once they got all the information they want, bingo, boom. All right, at your door, and they're going to put the cuffs on you.
1: And that's when you they, know the, the, the jig is up, so to speak, to use the vernacular. Yeah. When we get back, I want to talk to you about your return from prison and then get into a little bit more about your connection with Las Vegas. So let's first take a break. My guest, Ori Spado is the author of The Accidental Gangster, From Insurance Salesman to Mob Boss of Hollywood, his story about his days as Hollywood's fixer with Mob Connections. The book is published by Coastal West Publishing and available on Amazon and all the usual places. For everything about Ori, including autographed copies of his book, go to TheAccidentalGangster.com. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. You've seen mobsters and cops face off on the big screen. You've heard the legends of Al Capone and Elliot Ness. But how much do you know about what really happened? Dive into the true stories behind the myths of organized crime and law enforcement at the Mob Museum, the country's finest collection of mob artifacts, history, and interactive exhibits. Find out more and get tickets at TheMobMuseum.org.
0: Now let's get back to talk about Las Vegas
1: with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with Ori Spado. He's the author of The Accidental Gangster from Insurance Salesman to Mob Boss of Hollywood. His story about his days as Hollywood's fixer with Mob Connections. The book is published by Coastal West Publishing and available on Amazon and all the usual places. For everything about Ori, including autographed copies of his book, go to TheAccidentalGangster.com. And Ori, when you got out of prison, you were in a federal prison in Lompoc, correct? Right. When you got out, did you do a self-assessment? How did you turn yourself around at that point?
0: Well, you know, when I I was, my first 30 months, I was incarcerated at MDC Brooklyn. Uh, That's where I was on the Colombo Crime Family Racketeering Indictment, otherwise known as RICO. And that's where I had to fight my case, uh, along with all my uh, co-defendants. And, you know, the discovery that you're allowed, uh, the tape recordings. On our case, we had 3,500 hours of taped recordings. I was on 11 tapes. My dear friend, Sonny Franchise, was on 450 of them. But if you're on one tape, that's one too many.
1: Under the RICO statute, and, yes. Uh,
0: you know, listening to my discovery and listening to all these people, here I am in California, and listening to uh, people, My my friends having conversations in New York about me. I mean, why are they talking about me? Oh, you ought to see what kind of apartment he's got. He drives a brand-new Lexus and all the jealousy. And, you know, I didn't really like that, you know. But, you know, everything registered in my mind. And uh, I happen to have been blessed with three wonderful children. And they were the ones who provided for me when I was in prison. It's not like the movies where, hey, you get busted and those guys are going to be putting money in your commissary all the time. No, that don't happen.
1: You think it would be just because you were part of that world, even if you weren't a made man, you were still part of that world. You think that there would have been some support, but as you say, it was your children that did it. By the way, we didn't mention for our listeners, what was the charge that sent you to federal prison where it was the RICO statute? There was uh,
0: two charges. They only need two predicate acts to bring you in on a recall. One of them was a home He's a robbery here in Burbank, California. And the other one was a drug conspiracy of cocaine, 50 kilos or more. So I was facing life in prison. And, and, I, and I was never going to do the cocaine deal. But that was created by a confidential informant. And sitting on my couch when a Jamaican boy that I handled out here that was with me uh, got in prison, he was transporting drugs to North Carolina. And his wife came to my home with two Mexicans that he owed a half a million to him. And that money was on the streets in Brooklyn. I happened to know the guys who, you know, who took the cocaine. And I picked up the phone right there and called him. And he said, Rory, look at, you know, Ricky didn't understand. It's taking us longer, but we got 100000 ready right now. And the informant just said, I didn't know he was. The informant was Guy Fattato. I didn't know he was an informant. Uh, Sonny. Put him with me and said we can make a lot of money together. And uh, Sonny didn't know he was an informant. Sonny was grooming him uh, to be ma- be a main man. And uh, and he said we'll get all your money for you, but you got to give us fifty kilos every two weeks. We'll transport it to New York and we'll pay you this and that. And uh, next thing you. And then he went back to New York, and he would talk to the acting couple and tell the couple, we got this big deal happening with Ori. All recorded. All right? Talking about all the money they're going to be making with Ori on a cocaine deal. Ori never said, I want to do this. Who got indicted on a cocaine conspiracy? Me And the acting boss, got we were indicted for that crime. Neither one of us ever said one word to each other about that. Never discussed cocaine.
1: So at one point, you obviously agreed to a deal for a number of reasons, which are outlined in your book. And you serve your time in Lompoc, and you return to Beverly Hills. Now, are there restrictions on what you can and cannot do as a result of leaving prison, including... I guess you're you're able to write a book, but are there restrictions in terms of who you associate with, et cetera?
0: Well, I had extra additional uh, supervised release things. And for four years, yeah, for four years, I could not associate, could not be seen with, could not talk with anybody. Uh, You know, so, I mean, I wasn't even going out to restaurants that I thought maybe somebody might be in. You know what I mean?
1: Sure. Uh,
0: and, and and the judge worded it not only the regular laws, but what Mister Spado might think of. Interesting. And I, I'll tell you what happened to me one day. And don't think that the, your local law enforcement, okay? I got. I made a right turn to go park my car. I wanted to park in this one part. There was a cop car right behind me in Hollywood. And I pulled, I parked my car, and they come over. They said, "You ran through that stoplight, officer. Oh, I didn't run. You were right behind me. I was waving you to back up so I could park in this parking space there. You didn't back up, so I just turned the corner and I parked right here." Give us your driver's license and registration. I give it to them. They come back. Mrs. Spaydell, step out of the car with your hands up. All right, we have. Boom! Because once they ran me in a computer, they knew I was on supervised release, so they had the right to search me and search my car. And I had another person with me, and they spread with me on, on on their car and cuffed me. And they searched my car, and I'm thinking, oh my God, I hope this fucking girl and don't have any marijuana.
1: <laughs> and, and how know, did it how back. did it turn out though was it you were you Turned were allowed to there. go
0: there was nothing right. I had nothing, right. and they had to let me go
1: yeah let me talk to you a little bit about las vegas because you've had a lot of experiences up here you were involved i remember in the book you talked about the aladdin hotel and promoting a show up there can you talk a little bit about how you got involved with las vegas and at what level and maybe your most memorable experience here
0: well, you know, I began going to Las Vegas in the 60s. And uh, I was staying, at, I used to stay at the Stardust Hotel. I was treated really good. Never had to pay for a hotel room, never had to pay for a meal or a show. I mean, it was, in, in the old days, Las Vegas was really a great city. Uh, it's changed a lot. It's a corporate world today. It's all different. Um, but when the Italians ran the town, it was, it was done with class.
1: Now, did you get a chance to meet Lefty Rosenthal or Tony Spallatro?
0: No, never did. I might have met Tony. I might have met Tony one time. But it would have been very brief, you know what I mean?
1: What was your, your most interesting experience in Las Vegas that you recall?
0: Well, six, uh, I'm
1: I sure there a, are many.
0: A friend of mine lived in Las Vegas. He was in the music business. And he put together a girl from this show, that show. He put the, a country western. And these girls the girls. They were actually quite good. And he wanted me to manage her. I said, Danny, why do you want me to manage you? I said, you're right there in Vegas. He said, Well, you know, these other people want him and this and that and well yeah, the other people were some tough guys. He story or I'll handle everything. I said, Okay, I'll manage him. And uh, so I went into Las Vegas and I said, Who do these people have? Johnny so and so. Uh, and he's really a tough guy, he's from New York, he's with John Gotti. I said, Yeah, okay. I said, let me talk to him. I said, I'll resolve it. No, no, don't talk to him. Then they will come at me. He was really scared, this kid. So it came time that I had to talk. The guy, Johnny, called me one day. Now you got to remember, I never seen this fucker. And the only Johnny I knew in Las Vegas was Johnny uh, Johnny Popcorn, Johnny Pellegrino. He's related to the people on rails. And who I knew, uh, he was a good, good friend of uh, Jimmy Cotch's. And the guy calls me up. He starts calling me names. He's yelling. And in my head, I go, who the fuck are you? I says. He says, I'm going to send two guys there. I'm going to have you with a sit down. And he's yelling. And he said, I'm having, I'm calling John. I'm having two guys sent out there. I said, okay, do yourself a favor, save some money, and buy them one-way tickets, because they won't be going back, I said. This fucking guy actually calls John. The next day, Jimmy, this guy owned a deli uh, in uh, Las Vegas, an Italian deli. He was part owner of it. And uh, Jimmy Cacci happened to go in. And he's talking to Jimmy and he goes, this fucking guy in Beverly Hills, this guy, Ori, I got Johnny sending two guys, we're going to take care of him. Jimmy says, Ori? No, nobody's fucking touching Ori. You know, Ori's with me. <laughs> and that ended, and I ended up, you won't believe this, but Johnny and I ended up meeting. And I would always stop at his deli when I was in Las Vegas. And he'd come to Los Angeles. He always stopped. We were talking every day. We became good friends.
1: It is amazing how the world changes that way, doesn't it? Yeah. The experience you've had with not only dealing in Las Vegas, but clearly in Hollywood. In fact, that's part of the title of the book, Mob Boss of Hollywood. You were able to fix a lot of things that needed to be fixed. Is there one thing that stands out, and then we'll end it with that, is, is there one thing that stands out from your days working in Hollywood?
0: Uh, people ask me that question and how I got involved in it. I got involved through uh, Dino De Laurentiis and Ralph Serpe, both uh, producers. Uh, Ralph and Dino worked together, and everybody knows Dino. Uh, he did a lot of movies. Uh, one of the world's best uh, independent producers and biggest. And I got involved with them, or, I got you know, we got this problem with this, place, and I handled it. Well, they know because we handled the problem for them in New York when they filmed across 134th Street. So they knew I could handle problems, you know what I mean? Sure. And uh, they were always, for me, and I don't know, maybe it was because of my success in the insurance business, uh, but I always had the ability to be able to talk to people. And convinced them in a nice way of how they should be doing the right thing here. And so it went from them to studios to agents and actors and directors and, you know, and, you know, when I do something, I get a call, boom, I go and handle it right away. I don't wait about it. You know what I mean? I think about it a little bit, what I gotta do and how I'm gonna do it and boom, I go and I handle it. And all without a gun. Uh, so I've handled many situations. Sometimes a, a director's having a problem with an actor on the set, and I have to go talk to the actor. Uh, you know, because, you know, they're a waste uh, You money. Know, these films or movies are, you know, they all got a budget, and directors want to stay within that budget if they could. So everything, no matter what it is, it relates to money. I'd like to tell you a quick story. Sure. About Las Vegas. there I met this girl here and her boyfriend was a guy in the garbage business out of San Diego. So she tells him about me and the guy wanted to start the, gar- the garbage business expanded to Las Vegas. It was around, it was close to New Year's and he invites me in, pays my expenses, but I drove in and he puts me up at a suite at the MGM. The guy was a high roller gambler. And I was only there for two days. I drive back to Los Angeles. I get a freaking call. My name's in the newspaper. This guy, John Smith, writes, "Ori Spader was in town. What was he doing? And this bullshit. I mean, here I w- I didn't even leave the MGM. You following me?
1: <laughs> John L. Oh, Smith. Yes, he is. knows the about it. Day,
0: my name's in the <laughs> paper.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if anybody would know, John would. So there you go. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Ori Spado. He's author of The Accidental Gangster, from insurance salesman to mob boss of Hollywood. His story about his days as Hollywood's fixer with mob connections. The book is published by Coastal West Publishing and available on Amazon and all the usual places. For everything about Ori, including autographed copies of his book, go to the accidentalgangster.com. And Ori, thanks for being on the show.
0: My pleasure. Thank you, Ira. I appreciate you having me.
1: Thank you. See you next time.
0: You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world.